Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the IACast. My name is Michael Goeys, and today we have a good group of people here on episode 89 of the podcast. So today we have Aliyah Dudley. Hello. Scott Van Gorp. Hello. Jason Earls. Hello. Allison Hartley. Hello. And Megan Hargrave. Hello. It's been a while, but hello. It has. All right, so... But it's always good to have you on the show. Yeah. It's good to have all of our folks come back on the show. So, all right, we have a few items in the news today. One we reported on has... One item we reported on last week has an update, and that is that the 2018 MacBook Pros that had overheating have been fixed. So, Apple has put out a software patch to fix this issue. So, if that was an issue for you... Hopefully, your Mac will work as expected. I think they came out with this pretty quick. What do y'all think? Yeah, they did seem to come out with it pretty quick. I remember hearing something on Reddit. Uh, well, I didn't hear it on Reddit, but I read some a story that was talking about somebody on Reddit who said that it was related to the uh, VRM, the voltage, regulated, the voltage Regulator Management System or whatever it is. So I'm wondering if, if that was something that Apple was able to use to help pinpoint it and get that update out quicker. Quicker. I cannot speak today. Allow me to be critical and say that that never should have happened to begin with. Nope. That's just unacceptable. Well, and allow me to get back up on my soapbox and say that it just, again, speaks to an overall uh, degradation of quality at Apple, which is another reason why I'm slowly moving away from, from the platform as much as I can. I think the big issue that's happening is that they're trying to make these form factors smaller. And as you make these things smaller and more compact, you're still adding new specs. And that's great, but you have to come to a balance to make it work well. And I think that they aren't quite doing that to, you know, the point that they need. So I have no issue with a slightly thicker computer. You know, and or kind of do what they do with the Surface Book and split the components into a top and a bottom part. I think that would help the product. Well, I agree with you too, Michael. I would be perfectly okay with a slightly thicker computer. I mean, if 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 Apple had taken those specifications and put them in a computer that was about as thick as my Inspiron. Well, okay, not my Inspiron. That's a little. That's a little uh, much. My. Uh, current MacBook Pro, sorry, I'm actually on the Inspiron, I wonder if that issue would have happened because there, because there would be more room to work with with the components. So are there any other thoughts on this? So I think the only other thing that I would say is that it has to, you know, Michael, you've already alluded to this, it has to do with the scalability of the components versus what you're trying to put them in. It's like I've said before in a previous podcast, thinner isn't always better, and I think we have a prime example of this. I was glad to see that Apple was able to fix it with a software patch, but we should have never been here in the first place. But if the overall, and this is the last thing I plan on saying, I just want to make this, I just, I just want to get this out there, but if it, if it is true that the overall component was not an issue with the CPU and it was a, a VRM issue, could that then have happened even in a thicker computer, do we think? There's a lot of aspects that go into that. 
Possibly not, because if it's thicker, there's potentially more room for cooling. And if it's the smaller form factor does not leave as much room for cooling that chip. So that's in, you know, based on previous understanding of computer insides and, and how these things work, you have to have a, you know, the processor has the gel that's on top of the chip. And it also has a metal heat sink cooling device that filters the heat off and then into a fan. So that's one of the things that, you know, when you make things smaller, that metal heat sinking device gets smaller and the fan doesn't, is not as big. So you don't get the, you know, real estate to cool that more powerful chip. The one thing, though, that I would like to say to finish this off is it's a good thing that they were able to patch this because just think how bad it would be if they had to initiate a recall. That would have been, you know, an Apple computer with a recall. What? Wow. That would have been bad. Yeah, pretty much. Have we ever been in that territory? I think they've I had recalls. The only Apple recall I know of was the iPhone plug. Do y'all remember that? Uh, yes. Very, very really? vaguely. And wasn't it because it would some of them would like discolor or whatever because of the the heat of the um, electrical current going through them or something? No, they would almost catch fire. Oh, oh, a little more oh. serious then. Yes. So you could actually look at an iPhone plug with vision and you'll see a green dot on those plugs that let you know that it is a redesigned plug. Oh, interesting. So our next topic is actually pretty interesting as well. And that is that Ira, the company that does the awesome descriptive uh, calls with the glasses and that kind of stuff, is now 24 hours. So that's very exciting. I want as of Tuesday. thoughts on that. As of Tuesday. I'm excited for this because when we flew into Orlando for convention, it was 3 in the morning because our flight was delayed. Even if our flight had not been delayed, it would have been 1 in the morning, I think. And we still would have been outside IRA coverage time, and that's frustrating. I'm in an airport I don't know well. I would like to have assistance from a trained agent as opposed to somebody who is going to grab me and push me and pull me and whatever. I don't, I don't want to deal with that. So I'm very happy to see that this has finally come to fruition. Me too. And I know that the larger benefit will be to people in other countries where the time was really felt, um, like the UK and New Zealand and Australia. But even being in California... The time where Ira is off now is 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. And usually I'm not needing any help at 2 or 3 or 4 a.m., but there might, might be times when I do. And there might be times where I need something at 10.30 or 11 where Ira could help. And it, as of Tuesday, it will be able to. So that, I'm really, really excited about that. This is really going to step up Ira's game because not only would it help for those overseas, but I really could have used it for a convention myself, going to the airport at 4, 4.30 in the morning. So it all comes down to a matter of, yeah, it all comes down to a matter of timing. Now we will have the ability, when we need it, where we need it, 
to use a fantastic service to be even more productive than we already are. So I am totally excited for the 31st to come around. And it really is going to make life a whole lot easier. I mean, that way you don't have to try and cram all your tasks into essentially an 18-hour window. And if I've decided to procrastinate it on paper and I need help, well, now I can at 2 in the morning. <laughs> I just think it's a good thing, you know, all around because, I mean, yes, you have services like Be My Eyes, and I'm not trying to discredit Be My Eyes in any way, but there is a difference working with an IRA agent based on what I've heard anyway. I'm not, I'm not a customer of IRA, but it, it does seem that there's definitely a difference working with an agent who has actually gone through some kind of training to give you the visual assistance that you need versus a volunteer who is just can essentially just be anybody. The other piece of that is people have been complaining about the cost of an IRA subscription. This just increases the value of that subscription by having the extra hours yep. each day to be available. That's a good point that a lot of people do not think about. All right, let's go ahead and move on to our ad for the week. And we want to talk about a service that's offered by iAccessibility. And one of the things that we offer to anybody, whether you're, you know, in the accessibility world or just to anybody is our web development services. We actually build websites and do hosting for folks. So if you are looking for a website, if you're looking for a place to put your website, you can actually host through us. You get full cPanel support. You get all the things you'd like, hundreds of scripts that you can install from cPanel, email, all these things that uh, you would want to be able to use. So you can go to iAccessibility.net to learn more. Pricing is $5 a month for our uh, hosting and 25 an hour for any web design you would like done. So they're competitive rates, so we hope that you take advantage of our service and we look forward to working with you on any design that you want to make. So with that being said, we're going to move back into our, our regular show and talk about our main topic. This week, we wanted to talk about something that is kind of a big issue and will become more of an issue over the next several years, and that is data privacy and, and awareness of what's going on with your apps and your programs that you have. So apps are getting more complicated and they have more and more settings that we may not even know about. And we may not exactly know who is seeing our data, where it's getting saved, how it's getting saved, and what people are, you know, seeing. We had a discussion in our, we have a group on WhatsApp called the iAccessibility Community, where one of our members stated that images were being imported into their camera into their camera roll, the Photos app, without them giving the app permission to do so. And it brought up this topic of, you know, what if you're in a WhatsApp group 
and people are spamming images that you don't want seen. So we thought that would be a good topic to lead into how to protect yourself in these apps and on the web. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's becoming a bigger issue because nobody thought to check that setting. I never thought to check that setting. And sure enough, a lot of times it's turned on even though the default usually says off. So, uh, what, are, what are people's thoughts on this before we start going into ways to protect yourself? I think it's kind of scary. The things that an app or a company can do with your data without receiving your express consent. And one of the ways that they do that is sliding language into their privacy policy or terms of use that is a little vague on purpose so that they can take that data and kind of do what they want with it. And so it's important if you haven't read a particular company's privacy policy, especially, to sit down and read it. Understand what's happening when you sign on to that. And when you start using the service, what is going to happen to your data? Also, going through the settings screen of an app. And for me, I will almost always check out settings to make sure what's happening to my data. And I don't, here comes the pun, here comes the pun, I don't blindly allow access to particular parts of my phone, like contacts and photos and things without understanding exactly what the app is going to do with it. There are some apps that just want access to your contacts to supposedly get you better connected, but the reality is the minute you give it access, it's going to email or text all of your friends without your permission to invite them to this app. I've gotten a bunch of spam texts from people who are using certain apps and the apps have less than ethical privacy policies and they, um, I, I get these texts and, and you don't want to click on these. I've been the victim of one of them where I accidentally clicked a link in an email and the minute I did that, it, it had my Gmail contacts and it sent an email to everyone. I had to mm. go text people and email people and tell them don't click on that email don't even open it get rid of it because as careful as you think you can be I, I consider myself pretty darn careful with my data and what happens you can still have a problem another thing to keep in mind is that no matter how reputable the company may be there may be things that are hidden that are going to try to monopolize your data or share information that you wouldn't necessarily want shared. For example, I just got a Surface Book 2 and I was setting up Windows and if I had not gone into all of the custom privacy settings and everything while setting it up, it would have shared my Wi-Fi with contacts. It would have shared a lot of data that Whoa. I was not comfortable with. It would have tried to connect me to, to public Wi-Fi hotspots without my express permission. Um, there's a lot that even even great companies like Microsoft have these little things that they try to sneak in, which supposedly may help with um, improving services and improving connectivity and what have you, but at what cost? Yeah, whenever I got my Surface Book, I went through all those settings. Um, and I'll go into this more in detail later. You know, 
the way I look at it is our data is already out there. It, it's they're going. These companies are going to find a way to get our data to third party. You know, because basically, guys, what they're trying to do is sell our data. They're trying to make us into their product. We're we're, you know, Microsoft and other companies already are saying that we are not their product. That these bigger companies are their product to get our data to them. I think that's more the case with Facebook, less so than Microsoft and, and uh, Apple, but I think Google, Facebook, and others are very much targeting that. So, and, and they, they even say their product is these third-party vendors and companies. Wow, I've been in rehab a long time. I say vendors. Um, and I think that, you know, when we go through these things, they're going to be ambiguous. They're going to be vague, but I, I usually leave all the settings on as long as I don't see that they're going to text or contact other people, I usually just leave them on just because, it, like on Facebook, I leave everything public just for that reason. But, uh, yeah. My concern about the ambiguousness for the Windows setup, though, is that it didn't make it very clear what each setting was going to do. It just had a very brief description. And it sounds like what I am understanding is that, for example, the, the Wi-Fi thing, is totally different from what I thought it was. I thought it was actually going to share uh, your Wi-Fi information with your contacts, but the way that you interpreted it, Michael, was that it was going to save your Wi-Fi information somehow in your contacts so that you could have Wi-Fi more places, but nothing about what that setting actually said even remotely indicated that. So they have to do a better job at being more explicit about what the actual setting is seeking to accomplish before I'll feel comfortable turning it on. And before we move on, when, you know, and I'm sure others have other comments on this, but my, you know, when, and it may be because I may not even fully understand it. I just know it doesn't text people, but it may, you know, use Windows Live or one of those other means to send information, but I know that, you know, Aaliyah never got any information whenever I shared, whenever I turned on those settings. So it, it, it's, like you said, ambiguous. So it's, I, I agree. I'm, I kind of take risks and I'm just like, sure, why not? And just turn all this stuff on and, you know, I'll ask questions later. But I just always assume that these guys already are doing this stuff. And that's, you know, you have to when you you have to know what you're prepared to do. You have to know with your data what you're prepared to, you know, if you want something not to be on the internet, then you need to have it on a computer that's not ever that's never connected to the net. That that's kind of the way I look at it. But what are some other thoughts? Well, it's it's it can be very scary. Like I remember reading the story not all that long ago. It may have been like two years ago. And there was this flashlight app for Android. And, you know, as I'm sure you and Aaliyah know, one of the things that happens when you install an app in Android is at first you have to go in and accept app permissions. I don't know if that's been lessened in newer versions of Android, but I know that definitely used to be the case when you would install something that would make you accept the app permissions. And this, um, this uh, flashlight app wanted access to people's contacts. And while it was a flashlight, it also had some underlying virus code. And I, I want to say what it did is it, it, it 
texted your contacts or emailed your contacts or something links to the app and they would grab it and of course then their phones would be infected as well and it, it, it's stuff like that that really scares me and a lot of people you know they they don't read the permissions they just go ahead and click install and agree because they want that instant gratification and sometimes it's it's good to read those types of like you know if i'm installing a mac os update for instance i have read the agreement before i will read it occasionally i do sometimes just go ahead and click install and get it over with but i feel a little safer doing that with a company like apple than some random you know flashlight app maker for you know ios or android and it's just stuff like that that just kind of kind of worries me a bit and michael what you said about you know companies already doing stuff with your data selling your data I'm sure that happens, but I still think it would be nice to have better descriptions of privacy settings that are available in applications just so that you know and you can make informed decisions because I feel like right now that's not always the case, especially with, you know, the WhatsApp situation that we had. And even when I first installed Windows, I, I recently upgraded this laptop. I mean, I haven't had it all along, but I, I did upgrade it to Windows 10. One of the things that Cortana asked was, you know, something to the effect of, you know, is it okay to use these settings to do my best work? But I don't remember it actually explaining, and maybe it did on the screen, what the settings were that it wanted access to. So it, you know, stuff like that, it, it just worries me a bit. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, the thing about it is, you know, when you go online... You have, you know, when you walk down the street, people can see a lot about you, right? They can see your clothes. They can see your your hair. They can see your face. They can see all these things. And they can take a quick picture if they want. Or they can remember you. Or they can, you know, get all kinds of information about you. And we've lived in a world where the Internet has promised anonymity. And... I think that world is slowly changing to not so much the anonymous internet because all these companies have your data and, you know, there is private browsing and that is an option. But even the, even with private browsing, guys, they have ways, you know. Well, yeah, the ISPs can still track your IP around as I understand it. Right. right. And they still have it in logs. Well, and if you've used VPN, you could get around some of that, but... You know, going back to what you're talking about with apps, Jason, I, I go back to one of these older iOS apps before there was personal hotspot on iOS where you could, and I'm not kidding, it was a flashlight app called Torch, I believe. And it was a flashlight, but it had another feature as well. It was a personal hotspot. And Apple quickly removed it from the store. You're right, Michael. That did get taken down rather quickly. But it just goes to the, you know, the vein of you never know what you're going to get. You you have to look and be vigilant. It's not the same as the old Internet. You know, viruses and spyware and all that can attack our phones. It's not the same uh, web anymore. But there is a few things that you can do. You know, I've, there's a thing called computer hygiene. 
And we're going to get to that, but I want to go around and see if there's any other stories of where you guys have found some issues, you know, kind of like what we were talking about with WhatsApp and what you've seen and, and um, how you would handle these things. Well, I know what really struck me and what ultimately caused me to delete my Facebook account was all this kerfuffle that happened with Cambridge Analytica and even after Mark Zuckerberg uh, testified uh, in front of Congress that um, you know, they, they had taken measures to limit uh, the amount of our data which is being um, shared uh, with third parties, it turned out that they were lying and that actually billions of more uh, points of data for a lot more people had been completely exposed. Now, granted, a lot of this was information, um, you know, which was publicly available, but my understanding was that even some private information um, had been harvested because of these quizzes and things. So I just decided that Facebook wasn't worth it for me, and I've gotten rid of it, and I feel better because of it. Now, Twitter isn't much better, but you are because of its limitations, because Twitter is really only a microblogging service. You are unless you're really choosing to share things like photos and videos and what have you, you're sharing less data to Twitter than you would to Facebook. I mean, Facebook just took everything. Now, with Facebook, I am being a lot more cautious of what I put up there. I'm not really posting much um, personal things, but it, privacy nowadays is kind of hard to have in some ways, and it, it scares me, truthfully. You have to be careful. You have to have to be careful if you don't want your information to get leaked somehow. And even then, even though you have no idea it's being leaked, it gets leaked somehow. I had a friend who got blackmailed into paying some old friend of his $300 because this friend somehow, in some way, and this guess, this guy lives under a rock. He's not on any social media or anything like that. Somehow had indecent photos of him that he was going to post to the internet. Hmm. So it That's just weird. goes to show you that anything you do nowadays is somehow can get out there. Well, I remember reading a, a really interesting story not all that long ago about somebody who, because of the new GDPR stuff, they had sent requests and to, I believe it was Google, Apple, and Facebook to see how much uh, each company had collected on them. I think the guy was a journalist. And when he got the archive of all the data, Apple actually had the least amount of data on him. Like, I think he said the zip file was like maybe five megabytes in size, if that. They really didn't have a lot on him. At least, not what they gave him anyway, compared to what Google and Facebook gave him. I think it was Facebook. It all comes down to people just being vigilant. If, I mean, it's like Michael said, we know that these companies have data on us and that it's going to get out there. If there's something you really don't want out there, find a way to keep it offline. Well, and I honestly don't have a problem if it's, if some of my data gets leaked online if it doesn't identify me, like if, it, if it's one of those like anonymized, you know, 20% uh, of customers aged, you know, 20 to 40 
use our product and like five percent of them live on in in this state or something as long as it doesn't actually identify me then i'm okay with stuff like that but and i also completely understand that anything at least i i i firmly believe anything i post on the internet's basically going to stay up forever but i just i'm more comfortable with anonymized data collection and i'm assuming all of us are really in a perfect mm -hmm. world mm -hmm. I wish there were a perfect world when it comes to the data that we share, but unfortunately, the world is getting less and less perfect all the time. Ain't that the truth? Well, okay, I'm, I'm just going to be honest here, and people may have differing opinions. My way of looking at this is, you know, and this goes back to employment as well. If you don't want your boss to see it or your family to see it, then don't post it at all, private or any in otherwise. Just don't post it. Uh, you know, pictures, just don't post them. If you don't want them to be seen by family or your job, don't post them. Mm -hmm. And that makes sure that you're not in any kind of a compromising area. So, you know, that, I, I set, personally, I set all my posts to public. I don't, on Facebook, I don't care who reads my, my posts because they are, usually technology-related or, you know, food or other, you know, sightseeing. I'm not going to post anything crazy. And, you know, if I were people, if you're going to post something that you want somebody to see online, do it on a text message or somewhere like that where it's less public. There are ways to do these things, you know, that are not as compromising. And, you know, my way of looking at it is I don't think it really matters if you pick friends or public on Facebook. You're, it's going to go to the same place anyway. So it's all in, uh, you know, the privacy is important, but it's also in what you, the, the types of posts that you, that you come out with. All right. So let's talk about a topic called computer hygiene. And we've already kind of touched on a few things in here. So computer hygiene is how to present yourself online so that you won't easily be compromised. And I'm going to start it off with this very important thing that none of us on this server, I'm sure, do. And that is when you get a new computer, set up two accounts, your personal account and the administrator account. That way, any program that you install does not have access unless you enter a password. You can't, you can't just hit Alt-Y in Windows or, you know, all that. Now, on the Mac, it automatically makes you enter your password anyway. But on Windows, this will make it where you have to type your password, your administrator password to install programs. And it also will tell you, you know, make you look at what the program is it's trying to go through. And so you could say, oh, no, I don't want that. Or... You know, it also keeps people from getting into your computer as easily. So, have y'all, have any of you guys done that? On no. Windows, no. On the Mac, as you said, it does it for you. I think Linux does it for you as well. So, I probably should because I'm already used to doing to authenticating like that. Nope, not. I haven't done it. I should do it. I just haven't done it. In the so do as we say, either. not as we do department. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> I see the I benefit. I was thinking the same but thing. I'm probably not oh, yeah. going to do it. I have it. to go there too. <laughs> Which, of course, is part of the problem. The problem is it's not easy. None of this stuff is easy. It's a huge right, pain in the butt right now. And right. I don't want things that are going to make my computer use more complicated. I want things that are going to make it easier. I want security, but I want convenience. And I'm sure we're all there. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you have to give up one for the other. It's true. It's very true. Yeah. Just like You bring up a valid point there, Allison. You know, we, we all want the instant gratification of knowing that we can just get in there, do what we want, and not have to worry about it without taking that extra step. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's also like having, you know, not having the same, either the same password or the same set of passwords you use across multiple sites. I admit that I am very bad about that. And I know that you can have things like a password, which will help you alleviate that. And I think Mac OS has password assistance tools, I think, although I don't know if that just applies to user I think accounts. it depends on what website it is. I may be wrong there, but I've only seen it on a few different websites. Like if I'm trying to create an account for something. That's the nice thing about 1Password. You can make it for any website, for any piece of software that for which you're making a, an account. Um, if it's an app on iOS, I, I really swear by 1Password. Uh, for some things I do um, use the same password, but other things I try not to. And I try to save them somewhere secure as much as I can but sometimes I can't and it's just a pain but at the same time I know if somebody knows me they can probably guess one password but they might not be able to guess the other. I dread when things force me to change my password I really do (laughs) and that's terrible but it's true yeah and, and different passwords help and you know, one of the other things that people always forget to do when they're in public places is sign out. If yeah. you're on a public yes. computer or somewhere oh, yeah. online, always sign out. I, I change positions and I work in a rehab center for here in Texas for the blind. And one of the things that never gets done is people never sign out of their emails on public computers. And I'm sure that happens at libraries. I'm sure that happens at schools all over the place. And so good computer hygiene. You don't want anybody just sitting down and reading your email. I've often wondered how many Facebook pages are visible right now in public libraries. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I don't want to know. I don't want to know either. I don't want to know the content, but I would be curious to see the number of them. You know, the next, and this is probably even bigger than having good passwords is if you're using a service that has two-factor authentication available, use it. Use yes. that. Oh, there's, yeah. there's even some services now that offer two, you know, three-factor authentication, which is crazy. You know, some government jobs and different things use three-factor. Your password, something else, and something else. Mm-hmm. And I think Google is even taking that a little step farther in that they are try they want you to to buy these physical digital keys to access your account information. I'm not quite sure what the keys look like or exactly how they work, but I, I read that 
yesterday, I believe. They even make little devices that you can plug in your computer that authenticate, and you can only use a certain program while it's plugged in your computer. Yeah, I think that's what Google's trying to, wants us to buy as consumers, are those types of devices. Well, what I'm thinking that they're wanting us to buy is authenticators, where it's actually a algorithm that generates a little code, shows it on the screen, and then you type in that number. I think they're physical, though, these devices. They are. Um, Blizzard makes them oh. for like their games. You can authenticate with a, a authenticator device that has a little code on the screen. Then you just type in the code. But they're becoming more and more popular. I want my Apple Watch to do this type of stuff for me in some secure way. And I don't know what that would be because I know Bluetooth can be sniffed. But it's already attached to my wrist basically every day. But, yeah. I feel like... Go ahead. I feel like physical authenticators, at least in terms of the convenience factor, are kind of a step backwards, although they might be more secure. It's really a step backwards. I mean, what if you have a keychain then with 10 different authenticators for 10 different services? I mean, it could get crazy. <laughs> the new modern-day keychain. <laughs> yes. Well, they're becoming more popular because they're on you. And, you know, the the, the adage goes, the... Biggest point of weakness is where a person can sit down at your computer. So if you can get into, you know, if somebody gets access to your person and can get these authenticators, then for one thing, they also need to know your password. But for two, then you could probably get more of your identity stolen from your ID and your debit cards than anything else. So... You have to look at it from those angles as well. The authenticators are, you know, they even have authenticators you could get for your mobile phone. But they're essentially the same as getting the text message that you then enter a code with. So along with authenticators, you know, in two-factor authentication, those are some good ways. The other thing I would recommend people do is go through, if you have an app, go through the settings of that app. Make sure things are where you want them to be. And if they don't make sense, contact the developer. Ask them, you know, why does it say this? You know, what does it actually doing? That way you know what these things do. Because, you know, when you're using technology, it's kind of like knowing the laws of the land. Even though you don't know it doesn't mean you're not exempt, right? If, if you don't know something, it means, it still means you are you know, you have to follow what's going on because if you say, yes, fine, do all these things, you accept the consequences of not knowing what these things do. Do you guys all agree with that? Absolutely. I do. But with that being said, I still would like to see more applications get clearer privacy policies because that way, if they do something and they clearly spell it out and you don't agree with what they're doing, then you can just stop right there and not even install the app or uninstall the app in the case of mobile devices as opposed to finding it all out the hard way. Yeah, Jason, I, I agree with you. But the issue is I think that these companies need to present language on the setup screens that force the person to know what they're getting into because if you rely on a privacy policy that 
I would probably say 10% or less of users are going to read, then, you know, they're not going to do so and, or know what they're doing. And the issue is, is that, like I said, if you press that button, it doesn't matter if you've read it or not. You're accepting the consequences of your actions. So I think that there does need to be a new way of figuring out how to get users to realize what they're agreeing to when they do these things and also provide a way of, of letting users know, hey, this is how we're changing our privacy policy information without having them to read the whole thing over again. Because what happens with Facebook, especially Facebook, is they will make changes. They don't always change their privacy policy and they you know they just say you're well we're on the service so we can you know do these tests you know because they do a lot of um, behavioral tests and studies and different things on their users without even informing them of such things so I think that there needs to be a way you know complete transparency you know let users make up the, their minds. And I think that's kind of what the GDPR is trying to provide in the e-privacy act. I believe that's coming up if not already passed. And, you know, these laws are going to be changing these things. It's already changed how some stores sell their information in the, in the Europe and in UK areas. And so I think that's going to change the internet in such a way that they're going to have to do these things. I agree with you, Michael, completely. I just, I, I, I guess what I was trying to say earlier is clearer, more readable language that doesn't require a lawyer to understand in your privacy policies and, you know, display it in the app. That's fine. But clearer language could not hurt is what I was trying to say earlier. Right. And... One last thing, you know, it, it's been a pretty good length show, but one last thing that I recommend people do is go into, if you're on a mobile device, go into your settings app and go to privacy and look at what apps are set up to do what. That way you can know, okay, WhatsApp has access to my camera roll. I may not want them to do that. You know, you may have to turn that on later if you want to save something individually to your camera roll, but that way you know this app will not get access. And you could do that on iOS and Android. So, you know, we were talking about the whole WhatsApp stuff earlier, and one of the things that I did right after is I, I looked at WhatsApp settings and I turned everything off. Not because I'm paranoid, but I figure that, you know, if I want something, if, if I want to do something and I even have to go turn some privacy setting back on, at the end of the day, the privacy settings that I've enabled to do with WhatsApp, what I want to do, are going to be the ones I want turned on and nothing else. So that's kind of why I sort of turned everything off. Although I was a little bit afraid at first that I was going to not be able to send and receive voice messages, but it looks like that's not the case, so... All right. Does anybody have any final comments before we wrap up today? I think it's been a good discussion, and it really has brought to the forefront a lot of privacy issues that people may not have considered before, but that they should consider 
as we continue to evolve our technology and continue to use apps in different ways in the future. I think it's a, a discussion that will only continue. And all I have to say is constant vigilance, constant vigilance. That's right, Mad-Eye. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You have to just be mindful of everything nowadays. Question, question every app. Look at the privacy policies. Look at the privacy settings. See what is exactly is being done with your data. And if you're not comfortable with it, then don't use it. All right. Well, that will do it for this episode of the IA Cast. And to wrap us up, Aaliyah, what is your pick of the week and where can people find you online? My pick of the week is a book called The Dresden Files, or rather a book series called The Dresden Files. I have been reading on these since probably November and absolutely love them. They are definitely a fantasy series and they are not for young readers. <laughs> but they are quite a good series of books. There are how many? 15 now? Plus two short stories books. And yeah. each book is at least eight hours long. Most of them are longer than that. The one I'm in right now is about 18 hours on audio. So without giving too much away, that is definitely my pick. There is a guy who gets into a lot of trouble. <laughs> Let's just say that. And... Uh, <laughs> You can find me in many ways producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at Aaliyah, that's A-L-E-E-H-A, at iAccessibility.net, or you can follow me on Twitter at BlindCowgirl199. All right. Jason, what is your pick of the week, and where can people find you online? You know, Michael, it's actually funny that you asked me that question because everybody's been hearing my pick for the week the whole time I have been speaking on the show. My pick, of course, is what I am talking on, which is the CAD U2 USB stereo headset. There are some things about the headset I don't like, and I'm probably going to buy a different one. But, I mean, if you guys can hear, the microphone sounds really good. Somebody didn't even realize, one of you didn't realize that I wasn't on my mixer microphone when yeah, I was Yeah, 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 that was me. Thank you. I can't remember <laughs> if it was you or Allison. But anyway, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a really bad headset, and apparently they've updated the design. Uh, when I bought the headset, it was like 40 bucks. The audio from the headset itself is, is pretty okay, although it does tend to distort a little easier than I would like. It's also a little louder than I need. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's at 2% right now, and I don't really need it any louder. But it's got, it's got a decent amount of highs. It's got pretty okay mids. They're not, they're not too bad. Uh, decent bass. This particular version is a little uncomfortable for extended periods of time, and the 10-foot USB cable kind of gets in the way. Um, I wish it had a volume and mute switch, but honestly, other than that, it, it sounds great. It's nice to have around if I need a podcast, although I will say that if you, it, it's not it doesn't work as well with Mac OS as it does Windows, unfortunately. But um, still, it's worth being a pick because it sounds good. As far as where people can find me, you can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can email me at jason at iAccessibility.net. You can search for me on Twitter. Just search for JDE. That's Juliet Delta Echo 91. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Jason Earls. All right. Megan, what is your pick of the week and where can people find you online? My pick of the week is 
uh, the Big Bang Theory Season 11 that just came out and described video about a month ago, I would say, maybe, just less than a month ago. I finished it this past week, and it was very good. I quite enjoyed it. People can also find me online at, on Twitter, actually, at MeganH13, that is M-E-A-G-H-A-N-H-13. All right. Scott, what is your pick of the week, and where can people find you online? My pick of the week is an accessible Windows Twitter client, OpenTween. It is based off of the Tween Twitter client that I believe was started in 2011. Uh, a few years later, it became an open source project that is still in development. It is still being updated. And there are some scripts for JAWS that Doug Lee is uh, still updating. Matter of fact, I think the most recent ones came out in June of this year. So in a string of many Twitter clients, mainly the Cube, Chicken Nugget, things like that, this is the latest one that a lot of people have been using. And I've really just gotten into it this week and really, really like it. As far as where you can find me online, you can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can send me an email at scott at iaccessibility.net. You can also find me on Twitter at Scott Van Gorp, and you can search for me on Facebook. Just search for Scott Heidi Van Gorp. As a added note about OpenTween, I installed it on my Windows machine my Surface Book today, and oh my gosh, for low vision users, it is information overload. Everything, every tweet is a one-liner. So, yeah, it, I, there's a little information window where you can read the tweet at the bottom, but ooh, it's a lot of information, so just be warned. All right. I did see that tweet, Michael. Yeah, yeah, I did see that, and yeah, it is a little information overload, but for a Twitter client that folks would want to get into, I think it's it's definitely worth doing. It's better yes, there is a lot of information there, but yeah. So it is a, a great Twitter client, but like I said, for you know low vision users, you're going to want something that would be a little more easy to read and more individual tweet focused. I would totally love a Twitterific program from Windows. The built-in, the Twitter client from Twitter is only for one Twitter client at a time. You have to sign all the way out and back in to use a different account, which is ridiculous. Ugh. So I'm not a oh, big that fan. Sucks. Lame. Yeah. All yeah, right. Well, so, open tween, you don't have to do that. So right. that's kind of nice. Right. So, all right. Allison, what's your pick of the weekend? Where can people find you online? My pick of the week is a really fun audiobook fan fiction series. It is produced by Living Audio at livingaudio.co.uk. It is an audiobook of a Harry Potter fan fiction series called the James Potter series. And it is absolutely amazing. The narration is top notch. It is basically a, a sequel. For those of you who hated to leave the Harry Potter world after book seven, like I did, is a sequel that tells the story of Harry's oldest son, James, as he goes off to Hogwarts and the adventures that he has there. And so far, there are 
four books that have been recorded. There's a fifth going to be coming out. I believe all seven books that are available currently are available in EPUB, but this audio series is truly, truly magical. It was at one point available for sale from Living Audio, but this is very timely due to the changes to the privacy laws in the UK. They actually couldn't support a store at the moment, which conforms to all of the new privacy laws. So they are um, having it available as a podcast now. So all you have to do is go to your favorite podcast client, search for James Potter, and just enjoy the ride. It is so amazing. I'm loving it. As for contact information, you can find me producing content for iAccessibility as well as on a ton of other places. You can send me an email at allison, that's A-L-L-I-S-O-N, at iaccessibility.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at hot4technology. That's hot, the number four, technology. So really quick, I do want to give you guys a bit of a heads up with the James Potter stuff. If you're going to listen to it in a podcatcher, at least for me, some of the episodes appeared kind of out of order. So like chapter going down the list chapter nine was after chapter eight if the list was reversed so i ended up accidentally reading part of chapter nine because it played next and then i had to like go backwards to find chapter uh, eight so just 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 be on the lookout for that if you're going to listen yeah for to that now. particular podcast i ended up actually just customizing in downcast that feed so that it wouldn't automatically go to the next one. That way, if I fell asleep or something, I could go back. I also set it to not delete episodes because I want to I wanna keep these around for posterity. So it's pretty amazing. But yeah, check the it's order. Super. I'm not very far in, but definitely whatever pod-catching client you're using, check the order. And just so people know, while this is a fanfic, it's also approved by the author, J.K. Rowling. So it's considered, I believe, to be canon. Yes, she has given it her blessing, and it says so in the beginning of, of the first book, at least. So that's that was pretty amazing, because at first I have to admit I didn't know what to think. I was like, oh, what, what would J.K. Rowling think? And then I heard, right? thank you to J.K. Rowling for giving her blessing, and I was like, oh, oh, thank goodness, okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I actually, I actually missed that, because the way podcasts displayed it, it was at the top of the, it was at the, um, toward the, it was like above the season four heading it was sort of somewhere down that list so i ended up starting with mm. episode two which was at the very bottom which of course was the beginning of the book but no it is so so good anybody who's a harry potter fan i am totally behind allison urging everybody to check it out because it's yep. amazing it's really good and forgive the guy's american accent i mean he's he tries all right and, and i want to thank jeff bishop actually for being the one to recommend this to us initially Exactly. Friend Thanks, of my accessibility, Jeff, Jeff yes. Bishop. Yes. All right. So my pick this week is going to be Minecraft. I've been playing a lot of that this week. I've been playing Minecraft for years, but, you know, I have a Minecraft realm, and uh, me and our post-production mm -hmm. person, Chris O'Mealy, have been playing on the same realm for a few days, and it's just awesome getting the chance to play multiplayer with somebody and building structures and all that kind of thing and just watching things come up in the world that you yourself haven't built and built and it's just a really awesome awesome thing so it's really it's really a cool game it's for a lot of platforms pc as windows 10 and it's on uh, iphone and android and other 
platforms, but Mac, unfortunately, is stuck with the Java release, which is a older version that is more customizable, but does not work with the version for the other platforms, which kind of stinks. So that's what it is, and I hope Microsoft, you know, since they own Minecraft, will go in and fix that. You can find me producing content for iAccessibility. You can follow me on Twitter. Just look for Mike Doeys. You can find me on Facebook. I am Michael Doeys on there. You can email me at Mike Doeys. That's M-I-K-E-D-O-I-S-E at iAccessibility.net. And you can find me all over the web. I have a Tumblr. I have a YouTube page. I have all these things and my personal website, MichaelDoeys.com. If you want to find iAccessibility, you can at iAccessibility.net. We are iAccessibility1 on Twitter. If you want to find us on Facebook, you can search for iAccessibility. We have our iAccessibility iOS app, and we have all of our content in there. We have all of our premium content at Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash iacast to learn about all that and to subscribe to become a patron and help us out. It is, uh, you know, you can go as little as $1 to help us out, and you get all of our outtakes. So even the ones before the um, outtake show. So And those will be going up on Patreon as well, and all the new ones as, as we come out with them will be going up there as well. Even the ones from this episode, which are pretty funny. So uh, <laughs> we, we will have all that content there. All right, and um, we also have a YouTube page for iAccessibility. We're all over the web, Tumblr, all these places. And you can send us feedback and any information at feedback at iAccessibility.net. And we encourage any, any emails from you guys. We want to hear from you all. And just let us know how we can improve and what you guys would like to see on the iAcast. All right, well, that will do it for this episode of the iAcast. I want to thank everybody on our stream who have listened. I want to thank everybody who subscribes to the podcast. And I want to especially thank our editors and uh, post-production folks. You guys do a wonderful job uh, making this thing work and us sound good and me not popping my peas. So I really (laughs) appreciate all of that. And it's a big job. And I just want to take some time to thank all of you guys. But you know, again, you guys as our listeners, y'all are important to us too because without y'all, we wouldn't have a podcast. So, and you know, even I like to sometimes go back through and listen to our old shows because we have some great information. So, you know, even going all the way back to episode one where we sound terrible, check it out, you know, in the iAccessibility app or online. So, I'll wrap this thing up here, but I just want to say thanks to everybody involved for making this podcast what it is. You know, we're. Where after this episode, we are almost headed towards episode 100. We'll be on episode 90 next week. So we're getting there. Exciting stuff. So, all right, that'll do it for this week. Thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Copyright 2018, iAccessibility, LLC.